0: I've often said, I think it's true, that we Montanans are prouder of Montana than Texans are of Texas. We're just not so loud about it.
1: This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. Hey folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in today. Today, we are bringing you a conversation with three amazing people. My dear colleagues here at the University of Montana, Sam Penarella, professor of law, and Sarah Rinfray, professor and director of our Department of Public Administration and Policy, join Montana legend Max Baucus, former United States representative, senator, and ambassador to China. Why have we assembled these great folks? Well, we've done it to talk about some of the great stuff happening over at the Blewett School of Law. What they've put together through the law school, the Bacchus Institute, and the Department of Public Administration and Policy is super interesting. They've created a set of opportunities and experiences for students that are truly distinct. I was honored to be a part of this conversation, and I'm excited to bring it to you right now. Okay, so we're here today with Sam Panarella, Sarah Rinfrey, and uh, Max Bacchus. Thanks for coming on the podcast. You bet. Thank you. So... Max, I mean, you, you introduce yourself as Max. You go by Max, and I don't even know the protocol for honor, honorific titles. I mean, we could go representative, senator, ambassador, and what, what is there a protocol for what title people sort of go by? You
0: no, know, one thing I really—it's just so great about our state. Well, we're egalitarians in Montana. Yeah, <laughs> we're all together. And one thing I remember, I was running for office a long time ago. Boy, you don't put on airs in our state. Mm-hmm, <laughs> Once you sure. do, people start tearing it out. <laughs> Which is different from some other states, especially some of the more populous states, and it's that's I love it that this we are who we are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you are here today to sort of celebrate the um, well, this is a launch of a sort of the Department of Public Policy, Public Administration Policy, which is now a part of the Max S. Bacchus Institute at the Alexander Blewitt School of Law. I think got all these. T- <laughs> speaking of titles, right? Gosh. Did I do it right there? You yeah. got Sam, correct me. Did yeah. I do anything wrong? It's perfect, Justin. Okay, Great good. Job. So it's a big day. It's past the Board of Regents a week or so ago. And um, I want to start with you know, what is the Bacchus Institute? What's it all about? How did it come to be? And why here at the University of Montana?
0: Yeah, I, um, when I left the Senate, decided, gosh, where am I going to put my papers? got to send them someplace back home.
1: And, and what, what do you mean by, I just want to interject, what, you say papers. papers. What does that yeah. mean? What's yeah. the listener? Good think question.
0: About it? You know all the speeches and okay. emails and casework and, yeah. and all our committee work, finance committee, for example, health committee that we uh, pursued back in the during the thirty six years that I was in the Senate. There's a lot there, and um, it's frankly it's about a thousand boxes. Wow, more than that, and it's pretty expensive to categorize it all, to archive it all. And I was surprised. But I decided, after frankly visiting MSU and Helen over at Carroll and around different places, hey, yeah, you know, the logical place, the best place is, is the U.M. Uh, mm-hmm. here in Missoula. Um, and partly because the, the Mike Fan- Mansfield Foundation is, is here in Missoula. And I I've, I really revered Mike over the years. He's really one of my big inspirations to get in the public service. And um, it just made sense to put the papers here in Missoula. And... Um, <clears throat> And if the papers are here in Missoula, the next question is, gosh, if I'm gonna set up a public policy institute, where should it be? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a pretty easy decision. Well, the papers are here in Missoula, the university, law school, so I, uh, I'll set up the institute here. Why an institute? Basically, I just believe very much in public service. Okay. Uh, my professional life has been public service, about 40-some, more than that, years. Uh, both in the Senate and you know, also over in China, representing our country. Uh, and uh, I said, okay, now that I'm no longer in public service, um, I want to keep active. I want to maintain a, an interest in public service and encourage more people to get into public service. Why? I First, I liked it so much, public service. I it was very, very rewarding. Um, in the House, in the Senate, and as a pastor over in, in, uh, in China, why? because it's like helping solve problems, you know, getting putting people together, sure. um, finding solutions and help make us a better place. I know it sounds kind of corny and trite and all that, but I believe it. No, it sounds and, very and, inspirational and, and so, right now. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's, I just enjoy trying. You sure you get set back a little bit, but it's fun. Yeah. So I decided, let's set up an institute, and let's do it here in Missoula.
1: Sure, and now Sam is the director of the institute, is that correct? And, and how long ago was the institute established?
2: So it was – uh, thanks, Justin. It was established about three years ago, but um, we got off to a little bit of a rolling start, and that had to do, frankly, with uh, with Max being the ambassador in China, sitting yeah. ambassador. And uh, we went to the – quick story, we went to the State Department when we first started the institute and asked them, so who can we raise money from? This is a completely privately funded institute. Uh, it should be said. No state support, no U.M. support financially. Um, and so we needed to raise money for the institute. We went to the State Department and asked them, who can we raise money from? And they said, well, it's easy. You can ask anybody for money. Donors can be um, as long as they're not uh, doing business in China right now.
1: Oh, right. okay. So co- tons of conflicts of interest potentially or, to, or, to navigate.
2: Right, even even more so, or uh, have the potential to do business in China in Gosh. the future, which has effectively eliminated everyone um, except for maybe one or two. Yeah, people like if I, on I the buy a product that was imported <laughs> yeah. from China, does right. that disqualify right. me? Right. So that w- that was tough. Um, but um, Max came home to Montana, and at that point, we were able to really start the fundraising. So so I, I, you know, I th- we've been around for about three years. I think we've really been up and running for um, about about a ha- uh, year and a half or so, about eighteen months.
1: And just to be clear, Sam, you are a professor of law in the law school, and this is part of your portfolio of activities here. It so is, right. So I'm a
2: professor, teaching. full professor at the law school, and then I do this as well in addition to
0: that. Okay. Directly. Well, we pay for it. We yeah. get a little money so we, yeah. <laughs> in addition. That's right.
2: Mac, <laughs> as Max reminds me, I, I but do. But Sam get doesn't do any business
0: in China,
1: right? <laughs> I don't. I do no okay. business in China. Yeah, yeah, Actually, it's not true. But um,
2: yeah, no, I do it. It's, it's a labor of love uh, for sure. Excellent. Yeah.
1: And Sarah, you're a relatively new member of the the School of Law and the the newly sort of formed Department of Public Administration and Policy is now not only housed within the School of Law but within the Bacchus Institute. Can you tell us about kind of why that is the appropriate home for for the, for the work you do?
3: Yeah, we're really excited. You know, like Max was talking about, I mean, we're really committed to public service and so we're training the next generation of public and nonprofit sector employees. And so we felt like this is a really great opportunity for us to not only give back to our state, but to give our students the best educational opportunity that we could out of the University of Montana. And so we've been working on this for about the last year and really excited. So typically, public administration and policy programs are in institutes. Mm-hmm. And so we feel like you know this really great nexus between law, policy, and public service is a really innovative model that you would think people are doing across the nation, but we're the first in the U.S. to have this model in terms of law, policy, and public administration, and public service, and we're really excited about it.
1: Excellent. And so, so Max, let's talk a little bit about, I mean, gosh, having been in public service for so many years and done so many amazing things in different positions, now, after sort of that phase of your career has closed, you must get asked by so many people to attach your name to this cause or this issue or this organization. How do you make choices about where to allocate your efforts and um, your association as you, as you sort of navigate new opportunities for you?
0: Well, one very major criteria is is, is service and how to uh, encourage more people to spend more time Um thinking about and involved in public service okay um i think as needed today uh, with increased partisanship um not only in washington but to some degree in our state and the um, only way to deal with that is just take it head on just encourage more people to, to get more involved and do it in a way where their it opens their eyes and they see that hey i kind of like this i like serving so wh- how do we do that one is, we call, it, we call it our leaders program. We select um, 10 Montana college-age students right. and um, put them to a, a program here at, um, in Missoula, then send them back, all expenses paid, uh, to Montana congressional delegation offices and other um, federal offices. Okay. We only have three in our delegation, so we gotta spread it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 10, three plus seven. And, um, and they're there for a couple, three months. As I said, all expenses paid. And they come back, and my gosh, they're on fire! They're, it's so interesting to them; they're so excited. You talk to the kids, and they come back. So you know, 10's ten. So we're going to keep doing this and build up more than ten. But that's a huge part of this: get Montana kids so excited about public service that so they will then get involved in public service themselves, rather than maybe t- pursuing some other profession that that maybe not be as rewarding as as, as service is. So that's that's a lot of what we're doing. Um, and the that's the public administration program is really cool too. I'm really that's excited about. It. Oh, I'm excited about all of it. But it's that's a program. Sarah can explain it better, and she probably will <laughs> explain it better. <laughs> but essentially, um, we're helping people who work for state government uh, to learn even more and do a better job. Sure. And how to uh, interact with properly and constructively with people, and uh, with that they work with, and uh, and. With, both branches of government. It's um, and frankly, I'm really proud of this. One of our illustrious graduates is our, our attorney general,
3: mm-hmm. um, Attorney
0: General Fox, and I mean he liked it so much that uh, my gosh, he's out raising money for it. And I, I it's 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 he, he's so excited about it. So that's that's those are two of the areas. We'll talk about others later. Two other two other program other two other parts of the program, but it, those are two. Leaders program and the MBA program.
1: Sure. So when we're thinking about like how to best prepare um, students in, from Montana and beyond for careers in public service. I mean, a lot of the attributes you're talking about, Max, were sort of hallmarks of your career: this collaboration, compromise, which has kind of become a dirty word in, in our current politics, and the ability to work with other people effectively and take on alternate perspectives can get. Maybe Sam and Sarah, can you talk a little bit about how? you can actually teach those values and those things in a curriculum.
2: Sure. You know, so I think there's a, as long as there have been humans, there's been this, um, human tendency to privilege one's own lifespan, right? So people have been saying for as long as there've been people, we live in interesting times, right? And mostly they're wrong, right? (laughs) Mostly people don't really live in interesting times, but I actually think we are living in interesting times, uh, and not always in a, in a positive way, but, um, and, and I don't need to belabor the point. I think everyone understands sure. that these are difficult times for whatever your politics might be. They're difficult times for collaboration and understanding and reaching across barriers. And um, it's just not part of the fabric, unfortunately, uh, of a lot of what we see out there. And so, you know, Sarah mentioned that what we're doing at the university and at the law school with the, with the institute is one of a kind. And I, I want to make that point um, and I want to emphasize that point. You know, I think uh, I grew up in Montana, and I know that we in Montana, the university and elsewhere, don't like to brag on ourselves very much. Uh And I think we often do a pretty poor job of getting the word out about how great we are. It's not really a Montana way to be, right? We're understated. We don't talk about it. What we're doing, so well, I'm you know, gonna, we don't make podcasts about it. Well we yeah, but <laughs> it, it, present company excluded, of <laughs> okay. course. But uh, but I want to well, brag. We're not bragging. We're yeah. explaining. Yeah, we're, <laughs> <know>. <laughs> That's it. We're explaining. This is this is one of a kind. I mean, the, you know, and and you know, the word unique, it's it gets misused a lot. This is actually unique, right? This is truly the only pr- only program like this where students. I'm getting to your your question, Justin. I promise, but where we can give students multiple different entry points into public service. So we have law students, we have MPA students or DPAP students. We have students who interact with the institute through the Bacchus Leaders Program that Max mentioned. Those are not often not law students or MPA students. There may huh. be undergraduate students who do that. Uh, the, the cohort includes all throughout the campus, students from all over the place. We have a China program we haven't talked a lot about where we bring 20 to 25 students to China every summer. That's a mix of different kinds of students. So we have this sort of multi-door public service approach that uh, a student, the only place they can come in the country to get those
1: kind of opportunities is here. And that's what we're so excited about. And so, Sarah, let's talk about the classroom. How has this kind of come to life in the classroom in terms of the experiences students have and the values the faculty bring to that education?
3: Yeah, I think one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is that everyone that teaches in our department has a practitioner background. And so again, that nexus of law policy and, and public service, but we kind of wear that as a badge and say, you know, we've all like, you know, I was a a policy analyst before, you know, and and Sam was a practicing, you know, practicing lawyer before, and so that's something that we want to share with our students, and so we really our mission is apply that theory to practice and to pro- provide those applied learning experiences. But I mean, you and I work on the Big Sky poll together. Mm-hmm you know really public service cuts across all disciplines and so if you're going to enroll in one of our programs you don't have to have a background in you know public policy i mean we have students with a chemistry background law sociology psychology because if you think about it every every government agency at the state local and federal level you're bringing together a variety of disciplines to solve you know public sector problems and that's what we're really excited about Um, And to your point, too, about kind of the messiness of public policy making, you know, we always talk about we go back to the our founding uh, father of public administration is Woodrow Wilson. And so he talks about how we have to separate ourselves from politics, which is not really the case, but just being um, value neutral in the decisions that we make. So when we're writing policy memos, you know, from our expertise, if you're working for the EPA or the Department of Defense, that we are career civil servants and we're there to uphold not only the oath of the Constitution but also to pay attention to the people that we serve on a day-to-day basis, and trying to set aside our biases when we enter in, you know, our department, our agency, or maybe municipality at the city level, and that we're really there to sell, serve the public. And it's really exciting to be in that yeah, space. I jump
0: in there. One thing yeah. that just strikes me is, you know, having served in the legislative branch of government for a good number of years. I gotta tell you, so often we don't know what we're doing. Okay. <laughs> we think we know. <laughs> and we, we pass laws and, and think, oh gee, this is about as, as good a job we could do, but we don't know all the details. Mm-hmm. And it, that's where uh, the FBA program comes in because it's so much is delegated right. uh, to administrative officials. And, and uh, it's it's the practical experience that they get is so important in addition to the academic abstractions just interacting with how you do things, but in a, in a way that's effective, trying to interpret what the heck Congress or Montana legislature had in mind. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes they didn't know what they had in mind. Mm-hmm. And so you just got to figure out what's best. It helps in a most constructive way with the people that you're dealing with.
1: And how do you help students sort of navigate You know what sorts of service-oriented careers they should get into, whether they want to be a policy wonk, whether they want to run for office, whether they want to do something else or some combination of all those things.
3: Well, Sam and I can talk about this, but now you come to UM because we have like a menu of options, okay. right? There you go. So, so I mean... Well, and I think, too, because like Sam said, we don't brag about ourselves in Montana. Mm-hmm. And so where else can you come in the United States that you have law, policy and public service all in one umbrella?
2: Yeah. And I think, I think, Justin, it's a great question. And I think, it you know, the answer, at least my answer is exposure. Right. Okay. I mean, we're dealing with, um, you know, and I am father of an 18 year old and a 21 year old. So I know this from first hand experience. They don't really know. It's. I mean, we all remember being 18, probably, and you don't know much. Uh, you have a bunch of passion, hopefully, and ideas about what you might want to be, but you don't have a lot of direction yet. Sure. And I know Max tells a story about his undergraduate years when he took a class, and I'll, I'll let you tell it, Max, but that really got him inspired and kind of led him on the path to, that he's ended up. So what we're trying to do with the university, at the law school and the institute, is to give students multiple opportunities to be exposed to, for example the leaders program to DC and what that looks like Okay. to China and what international sure. law and policy might look like. So, you know, those different opportunities, they won't all be for every student, but if we can give them the chance to see those things, something's going to get them fired up. Something's going to, as Max said, something's going to light them on fire. Right. And that's what we're trying to do. And, and that's why we're so excited. And we keep bragging. Now we are bragging yeah, right? on yeah. Montana like, but about those opportunities.
1: And it occurs to me, you know, and, and I want to get to the, the China program for sure. But before we do, uh, you know, Sarah and I, we, we came to UM and Montana at about a similar time. We've both been here about seven, eight years. And, you know, Max and Sam, you're natives of the state and have m- made your lives here. It occurs to me, and I don't know if Sarah, Sarah Saint shares this observation, but there's something pretty unique about Montana and the Montana politics and, you know, People from the outside that don't really know what Montana is about, they say, how on earth do you have you know, a Democratic governor and one of the reddest senators ever? And like they're just confused by how the state can sort of be purple in its own unique way. Um, Max, can you speak to that and, and how Montana and maybe the values of this state contribute to this this ability for us to put together this unique experience for our students?
0: Well, I think there are a couple factors here. One, it's an overworked, trite phrase, but it's true. Montana is one big small town. Okay. We tend to have connections Mm -hmm. statewide. You know, Aunt Bessie may be out there in Plentywood. Uncle Tom's uh, is over in Harlem. I mean, we just we tend to know each other, and word of mouth is very important. And that means relationships are important. And trust is important. Either you, 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 you're trusted or not trusted. You look somebody straight in the eye and see how he or she is reacting. It's, it's, and we're able to do that better in Montana than can people in other states. Uh, that's very important. It gives us a big advantage, I think.
1: A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. This is Cameron Lawrence, MIS professor
2: in the
0: College of Business, and you're listening to A New Angle. Second, um, we're an outdoor state. Mm-hmm. Everybody in Montana loves the outdoors, uh, either work outdoors, logging, mining, whatnot, or it's or or, or it's our avocation. Yeah, uh, just uh, hunting, fishing, et cetera, et cetera. We love it, and that that, that connects people to values that I think transcend. Um, what people otherwise would not find in, in more urban environments. So that combination enables us to think and reflect a little bit, we've, we've more time alone a little bit, so we can think a little bit more about what really is important. And uh, that's that, I think those are two reasons why I, I, we get a little bit of a leg up on uh, working together.
1: Mm-hmm. Any additional thoughts on that, Sarah and Sam? You know, I, I think...
2: Uh, I. I I agree with that. I also think that they're – and having – and I got dressed and I have to correct the record because I, I know how it is. I'm, I actually wasn't born in Montana. I did grow up here. So I just want to make sure that's and, clear and, <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> before just, the natives get on my right, case. <laughs> I do want to plant a
1: little pin there like your story and we won't get into it now. But, yeah. but, but that's a future episode. Okay, great. Pin it
2: <laughs> um, anyway, you know, and I, I – yeah, what Max said is absolutely right. And, you know, I think that part of the answer, uh, at least it seems to me, is the pride that Montanans have in Montana – Um, you know, and I've done a lot of traveling in my career and my life, and um, uh, I've never met a people who are more proud of where they're from, which is lovely, right? I mean, Alaskans might be the only people I can think who can can give us run for our money in that way. And I think when you're proud of your place, you take better care of it. Mm. And part of taking better care of it is working harder to understand the people that live with you in that state, even if they don't have the same political views or social views that you do. And I think we just work harder. We're not perfect by any means, but I think we work harder to understand each other in Montana than uh, than people might do elsewhere. And I think that just to listen, right, to have the conversations, to take the long runs together with people who you might not agree with anything about, but mm-hmm. except the fact that you love this long run or this, this fishing hole or whatever else it might be. And so it is a special place. Um, it's not a perfect place, but it's a special place. I think it's part
0: of the reason why. I think something that captures that point is that I've often said, I think it's true, that we Montanans are prouder of Montana than Texans are of Texas. We're just not so loud about it. <laughs> <laughs> well said. And that, yeah. it's, it's a paradox, yeah. which I think sort of defines us.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sarah, how does that fit with your experience, You know, having come here about the same time I did?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm not a native Montanan. Mm-hmm. I think you always aspire to be. Um. <laughs> so I grew up in Ohio, and I have been involved in politics since I think it was four. I used to go door to door with my dad, so I thought that was just a normal lifestyle, right? And you like talk about politics at the dinner table. But one thing that I've seen, because Ohio has really interesting politics too, but mm-hmm. it's pretty divisive. Um, divisive, I think, and especially what's going on nationally. But one thing that was really great moving to Montana is I just think people just have really strong empathy and compassion because you are a next door neighbor to someone. So you probably know your city council member because they're your next door neighbor. Or, you know, what other state that I can email Max Baucus and he emails back? Or you can call the governor's office and the governor will call you back the next day. And so I think that's one thing that we really stress in the classroom, just the the access for opportunity to have those conversations because right. we are one big small town. Um, I think it just really provides opportunities for our students that other students don't have across the nation. And I think our students are awesome here too. I mean, they work exceptionally hard. They don't complain, um, and they're all working probably forty to sixty hours oh, a yeah. week. You know, mm-hmm. which I wish wasn't the case, and we can do better for that. But I don't know. I just think it's really impressive and just an honor to to work at UM because of that.
1: Yeah. And speaking of opportunities for students, let's pivot to this, this, this China program and some of the other components of the Bacchus Institute. So, well, you can tell the history, Sam or Max, but obviously c- coming out of your heritage is the, you know, the ambassador to China and the tradition of the Mansfield family and the Mansfield Center here. Let's, let's talk about the China program and what that means for mm-hmm. students.
2: Yeah, I'd love to. So I'm actually yeah. – and it's very topical because we're planning the program right now. So okay. um, in – and I'll be brief, although I could go gush on forever about this. But Gush away. Do- <laughs> or this is all about bragging today. Yeah, right. we uh, got nothing
1: but uh, – Bandwidth on this disc I'm recording on.
2: Well, we're very off-brand for Montana, but that's fine. Um, So what we do, in short, is we bring a cohort of uh, UM students, and actually South Dakota, University of South Dakota, is involved in the program as well. So mostly Montana kids sign up, uh, and we're bringing 25 over this summer and what's so we bring them over it's for a month and it's a comparative law program law and policy program so what we do is we bring them over there at school they get credit for it six credits um we're there for a month we're in two different places a place called Chongqing and a place we've all heard of called Beijing um Chongqing is fascinating because uh and I do this uh at cocktail parties which is why people don't invite me to cocktail parties uh but I ask people do you no, who have you heard of Chongqing, China, And almost nobody has heard of Chongqing. Sure. And I say, "Can you guess the population?" And people say, "Well, it's China. it's got to be, you know, at least five million people. The population of Chongqing is thirty two million people, wow. and most Americans have never heard of Chongqing, um sort of in the southwest part of China. A great place, a really interesting place. but, We bring students over there, and we have comparative law and policy classes. So for this summer, for example, I'm teaching a comparative climate change class in China. I'll teach half the class, and I'll teach sort of the American side of climate change, our laws and legislation and policies around it. And then I have a Chinese professor cohort who will teach in English, thankfully for all of us, and teach the Chinese view of that, their law, their policy, Mm -hmm. how they view it. Um, And we do that with family law. We do that with criminal law. And the students and, – and here's the important thing, and, and this is something that I've always insisted on, is that we don't – it's not us in a classroom by ourselves. We always have Chinese students with us. Sure. So I, I – insist that we have at least as many Chinese students in the class as American students. Okay. And that's where the magic happens is to get to know those Chinese students. A lot there are a lot of overseas programs. Every law school has them, almost every law school. And what they mostly do is they'll go to Florence, Italy and they'll all they'll rent a nice room in Florence, Italy and they'll sit there together in Florence, Italy and have class, which is really cool, but it's just like having class in America, except in a older yeah. place, right? So place. it's not that meaningful. What's meaningful about our program is the – and, again, this all sounds really trite, but it's so true, that relationships, the students form with each other, the friendships, the cultural understanding. Again, it's so trite-sounding, but so true, the realization that, hey, you're just like me, right? You want many of the things I want. You worry about many of the things I worry about. And But in some ways, we're different, and your views of – of the world are different and are shaped by your culture. And we, um, what the coolest thing about it is that we will bring these twenty-five students over every summer. Mm, Twenty to twenty-two of them have never left the United States before. Yeah. And if you can imagine landing in China um, for your first ever overseas experience, and maybe even a your first there. airplane. Some of them their Louisiana. first airplane ride. Some of them their first time out of the Rocky Mountain Northwest. A few of them their first time out of Montana, and just watching them over the course of the month, and I'm there for the whole month as the director and one of the profs, just watching them open up and have these experiences and eat the food and at first blanch and it's too hot, and then a week later they can't get enough of it, right? Um, It's just transformative. So I always um, will ask the students afterwards how it went, do a little survey And I think we're – I don't think I know uh, because I like numbers. I think I know. (laughs) We're about 190 for 190. Everybody has a great time there. And the reviews are – and this is not about me. These are not reviews of me. They're of the program. Um, Things like, it changed my life. Uh Uh, I hear all the time. And so giving Montana kids that opportunity – is if we just did that, I think the whole thing would be worth it. And the people di- people diplomacy that I know Max really cares about and cared about, uh, that's where it, that's where it's at uh, right now. And so that's, in short, the program.
0: I'd like to add a couple of points yeah. there. One, um, correct me, Sam, because you're directly participating, but these Chinese kids, Really know a lot about the United States.
3: Mm-hmm. They ask
0: excellent questions, mm-hmm. even about our legal system. It's almost stunning how much they know, and which means it's a great involvement um, U.S. and, and uh, Chinese students. Second, this kind of gives us in Montana a bit of a leg up on the future. What do I mean? I think the most important bilateral relationship right now is between U.S. and China. China is so different. The United States is so different from China. And um, and it's, it's the old vicinities trap question, rising power, established power. China's rising, we're the established power. How are two companies gonna work together? And it's, it's a question, the jury's still out. So the more Montana students are, are over in China and think more about China um, and more involved in China, the more likely it is that we in Montana will have a little better idea of a what's going on and B maybe some ideas on how to deal with it and, mm-hmm. and solve it that's something we have in Montana that others don't have and I think it's partly you know additionally because of the structure of the program it's not just going around and you know sightseeing it's um it's direct involvement with students
1: right and so what are some of the I mean you said you got equal numbers Chinese students and, and students from the University of Montana. Um, how do these conversations go when you're comparing mm-hmm. you know what what what's going on in the united states with with climate change and what's going on in China with climate change yeah. I
2: mean, it's fascinating i mean it they go um there's probably no one size fits all i mean a couple sure. of a couple of things that that happen every year um so first of all, before we go over, I have a conversation okay. with our students and the uh part of the a big part of the conversation is uh, and it's really important to me that I always convey to them that we are not going over there to convince the Chinese that our country is better than theirs, right? right? And, that, and that, that's not our job and it's not appropriate, right? And that, China, you know, the Chinese, and I've noticed this over the last eight years, and I bet, Max, you've noticed something similar. There's more China pride uh, over the last, I've really noticed that um, even the young Chinese people are more overt about their pride in their country, which, um, you know, for and for some very good reasons. They are. And they're, uh, like Max mentioned, they have made a study of our – these are young people that I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. 18, 19, 20-year-olds in China at Law as an undergraduate program. They have watched all the TV shows. Um, They've watched Friends. They've watched The Office every episode just like my kids have. And um, so that so that gives them an interesting, somewhat unusual kind of accurate view of America. Um, we're not nearly as good looking or rich as they think we might be based on the TV shows. <laughs> when they meet us in person, they think, "Oh, okay." But um, so they have certain preconceived notions. American students have some, but I gotta—I I think most Amer- young Americans don't think a lot about China. Yeah, um, I'd agree. Yeah, don't and don't really think a lot about Chinese people, and so. What I observe in the program, so when we get there, the first night I take everyone to dinner, and everyone thinks I'm the, I'm the most generous person in the world until I tell them um, afterwards that I paid for 30 people to have hot pot, which is a traditional food in Chongqing, and, uh, and some drinks and and others, and it's cost me about two hundred dollars, and then they realized it wasn't that generous. but um, we have dinner together, and uh, the, I, I, I mostly observe and see them start to talk with each other. and what always surprises the American students is that the Chinese the young Chinese people are much more willing to have conversations about like max said they, they'll they'll for the last couple of years uh, the conversations a lot of starts this way. A Chinese student will say to an American student, what do you think of Trump, right? Mm. That's often an opener, yeah. um, which is a big question. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's a lot there. And then the American student will give his or her thoughts about that. And then we'll say, what do you think of Xi Jinping, the the uh, Chinese equivalent? And the Chinese student will will talk about that. And they'll have conversations that touch on the South China Sea, on Taiwan, on Tiananmen Square, they will have those conversations. And I'm not in the middle of those conversations. Those mm-hmm. are personal conversations. But watching them, and, and they'll ask us about 9-11 and about uh, other things in America. And just watching those conversations happen is pretty incredible.
0: I might add, I find the Chinese t- to be a bit more candid than Americans. Okay. Than Americans, um, as, that's, as Sam just explaining, right off the top, out of the chute, start asking very direct questions, not um, condescending questions, not, you know, you know uh, arrogant questions, but constructive questions. Introspective. Yeah, introspective, yeah, intros- constructive, curious. Well, yeah. no, what, what's happening? What do you mm-hmm. think? And so forth. It's not to mm-hmm. put anybody down. And I, I, I that's something I think sort of indirectly the Americans could learn. I'm sure all Montana law students don't need to learn that. They already know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, anyway, it's just, it's a, it's a, I think people are surprised at the candor when they talk to Chinese.
1: Yeah, and a lot of the the sort of structure and experience and curriculum you're laying out there Sam it seems to align with 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 max what I've heard you sort of emphasize in terms of the values you should bring to public service building relationships understanding other perspectives. So how is your experience as not only ambassador but you know in congress sort of informed how we go about building the right experiences for students at the institute it's listening
0: Uh, over life i've learned the hard way you the more you listen more likely it is you're going to figure out a solution here put yourself the other person's shoes and walking around and so forth and um add to that it's being curious um real curiosity and asking questions like why is that that's interesting okay but why is that and uh then you start Seeing clues and look at assumptions behind uh, people's um, uh, points of view, and it's 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 a it's, it's intellectually challenging. It's just and rewarding, but b it's, it's gets, it gets it get you toward a solution. Sam made a point which I think is very accurate. I think Chinese people, American people, are basically alike. Okay, um, in what way? Look at most people want a decent job. Mm-hmm. They want food on the table. Most people, whether Chinese or Americans, want decent health care, you know, clean air and water, and, um, and, and just be able to live a good life, um, be left alone a little bit, opportunity for your creativity. We're alike, at Chinese and Americans. In fact, I think that's worldwide. It was not just States, uh, Americans and Chinese. And the, the more we understand that, or that's a bridge mm-hmm. to solutions and that's that's something that's discovered pretty quickly when you go over there yeah
1: yeah and starting with a focus on yeah. how we're alike and yeah. similar mm-hmm. and, and, and things we share seems and, like the pathway forward and, and
0: I, I don't I know Sam didn't mean this but there was a slight uh, implication in something he earlier said This, but when we go over we're not we don't tell them what to do um my view is, we don't tell them what to do because they're, we're no better than they.
3: Mm-hmm. We are
0: no better than they. Mm-hmm. We have a, a system, based rooted in our Constitution, our Declaration of Independence, the Judeo-Christian ethic, you know, brought over from Europe, et cetera. That's ours, and we're proud of it. We think we think it works for us. The Chinese have theirs, mm-hmm. totally different, and they think it works for them. And um, as Sam said, they're getting more proud what they're doing. There's more bounce in their step, a little spring. Hey, sure. we're Chinese, we're, we're rising, we're back. And so the key here, in my judgment, is not to say, hey, this is the way you do it. The key is to try, to, okay, it's like two people, like a marriage. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, how we gotta get along here, let's figure out how we do all this. And it is like, a, it's, it's really, in some respect, like an arranged marriage. Okay. <laughs> not based on love, but it's arranged. It's arranged by history, economic and political history. And we're here, there's no divorce. There's no separation. Right. We've got to work it out. Mm. And the more we realize, hey, we are here together. We're not going to the moon, we're not going to Mars. Maybe Elon Musk gonna send one country up to Mars, I don't know, but that's, not, that's way down the road. Yeah. For the time being, we've got to work together.
1: And what you're describing you know, is complex. And that's one of the things that we struggle with as a culture is, is sort of grappling with complexity, understanding it, admitting that it exists, and, and having the curiosity to sort of un, you know, do our best to understand it. Um, you know, that speaks to the importance of how we educate students. So, you know, one of the things I know that, that you bring to the classroom, Sarah, and then the public administration program is 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 diversity of thought and trying to create situations where students have to deal with complexity.
3: Yeah, Uh, I mean, I think, like we talked about earlier, I mean, we live in a very complex world. And so especially as the next generation of policymakers, but even public administrators, I mean, like Max spoke about earlier, we're the ones that have been delegated the authority to interpret that very often vague legislation um, and piece it together and implement it and carry it out, you know, so it kind of protects the the water that we drink and the air that we breathe Um, and it's often complex but I think the classroom I mean it's a space where you have to have a collection of ideas and allow everyone to kind of you know express their thoughts and their interpretation of what we're doing because if not you know it's not a best practice.
1: Right so you know you guys have got to move on to the next phase of your day the ribbon cutting ceremony over at the at the law school but let's talk about what are we missing in terms of other stuff going on at, at the institute we've got the, the department of public administration and policy the china program it's a home for the papers what else what else is going on so uh thanks for the opportunity um
2: I mean, those programs we're really proud of, and they keep us quite busy. There's one other area that we're, and it's a little more nascent than the programs we have now. Um, You know, Max's time in the Senate, he did a tremendous amount of work on natural resources and the environment, uh, including the Rocky Mountain Front and a lot of protections up there. Clean Air Act Amendments of 1990, and that's a legacy of MAX's that is really important to us as an institute and us as a state. Um, So we this idea, I've been sort of thinking of it lately as collaborative conservation, this idea of of finding ways, and and it's obviously really applicable here in Montana, finding ways to balance our desire to have uh, and keep open spaces and protected areas, but also our understanding that we need to Utilize some of our natural resources, and that you know, we're ha- one I think example of that that's happening right now is in Coal Strip, right? With the w- which I, I teach an energy law course, and thinking a lot about the town of Coal Strip and the need for that coal fired, or the, the really what's going to happen there is the coal fired plant is likely to be shut down uh, at least a couple of units here in the next few years, and so. That's a sort of recognition of air quality and et cetera in Montana It's important. But it's also there are hundreds or even thousands of people in Culstrip who rely on that mm-hmm. uh, plant for their livelihood. And what about those people? And so we're, we're still sort of in early stages of thinking how the Institute can play a role as a facilitator, or in other respects, with this idea of collaborative conservation, right? And, uh, and to, to honor the legacy that Max and others set in the Senate, but also to sort of recognize that this is going to be an issue for the state. It is an issue, and it's going to be an issue going forward. We need to play in that area as an institute for all kinds of reasons. Uh, there is a program at the university that 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 does touch on that around natural resource conflict resolution, that um, that we're we're involved with but not uh, we're still sort of figuring out how to how to make that something that fits our institute so that's probably the other area that uh, that we're talking about we're also I got to put a quick plug in we are going to have this fall our second annual uh, board of advisors meeting and the Bacchus lecture we're still' Uh, speaker or speakers TBD, mm-hmm. uh, but we're really and that's going to be in late September this year. Last year we had Maureen Dowd and that's Carl Holz, right. as you'll remember, Justin yeah, yeah. here. So we're we're in the planning stages for that, um, and we're getting real excited about that and have some pretty big ideas. So that's just
1: a teaser of coming attractions. Well, I got to say that you know one of the kind of things that I've liked exploring in this podcast generally are areas, things not only going on here but nationally, internationally, whatever that give you hope hope that institutions can can contribute to to leading us through these these challenging times as you as you outlined Sam. And so it seems like you know the Bacchus Institute is is exactly that sort of entity. And so thank you. Max, thank you Sarah, thank you Sam for for the work and contributions and giving us a, a place where students can go to learn the skills they need and the the sort of way of thinking they need to kind of uh, make the world a better place. I mean that sounds trite as, as you said before max but it's it's absolutely true in this instance
0: yeah I sometimes say and believe sometimes the trite things are the most true Yeah, yeah it's cliches just, just are cliche, cliche, cliche for a reason for a reason <laughs> right. you know everything is teamwork too and I want to thank you Justin you're part of the team here you asked some very good questions and probing in a very good way yeah.
1: well try to be curious right right I mean that's the value that we're all trying to instill in each other so right. Thanks for uh, coming on the pod, sharing some time on a busy day, and yep. uh, congratulations on the ribbon-cutting, and we'll, we'll see you again down the road. You got it. Thanks, Thanks
0: Justin. Justin. Thank you.
1: Okay, well, that was super fun. For more info, visit umt.edu law and check out some of the amazing work going on over there. Okay, coming up next week, we have one of Missoula's finest, Mark Moss, creator and host of the amazing storytelling event, Tell Us Something. Check it out next week. Thanks for listening to New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, part of the Michelle and Lauren Hansen Media Lab at the University of Montana College of Business. Remember that this podcast was supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you'd ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps, executive producer, Stefan Borsom. Producer, Aidan Morton. And interns, Aspen Runkle, Max Gibson, and Ellie Hanasek. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot. See you next time.